You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. All right, this is Abraham. And Ryan O. And this is Why We Do What We Do. Your favorite podcast, <laughs> hopefully. And uh, so we have a challenging discussion ahead of us right now. Yes, we do. So today's docket is kind of similar to the last one that we recorded on something that's um, not as like topic-based or like evidence-based. I guess it's more on the kind of philosophy, morality sort of thing. Yeah. Right? And I think there is an episode to be done about more um, moral behavior and morality that hasn't, and ethics probably more generally, that hasn't come up yet. Um, but this one, it we're really talking about the implications of psychology as it relates to understanding beha- human behavior when it is less than ideal. And yes. Putting it gently. Yes. And so it's important to start just by talking about everything that organisms specifically people in this case do and how that develops okay yes so why do we do what we do yeah (laughs) and you started down early (laughs) all right so the important thing that we have learned inside of psychology is that everything that we do is influenced by our evolutionary um, projection through time. So Mm -hmm. our our evolutionary development that has led to the genetic biological preparedness to interact with social and environmental circumstances. Okay. Simple. Yeah. I mean, that's basically what it comes down to is throughout evolution, our biology, our brains, our bodies have changed in response to our, our circumstances that have enabled us to survive and reproduce and that, we respond to those situations throughout the life of an organism that fosters choices that are made that are that lead to that increase and in production or uh, stopping production of those same types of biological systems. And so that's how that's the underlying basis for every single thing that we ever do. There is nothing that any person has ever done that stepped outside of the fact that they are biological beings that have gone through an evolutionary process existing in a current social and environmental circumstance. That is always true for everybody. Yes. One universal that we're both taking that position. Yes. That that is the position that is happening. Okay. And so if evolution, just to give some examples about this, if the environment of an organism uh, selected that this organism had some sort of organ on its body that was sensitive to light and we're going to call those light uh, eyeballs Mm -hmm. and that that was capable of of perceiving particular parts of the electromagnetic spectrum for human beings that's the color spectrum that we see and there's also limbs capable of coordinating with those eyes so what the eyes see uh the limbs can also like the eyes can respond to how the limbs move and the limbs can respond to what the eyes are seeing then the organism is biologically prepared to do things like create art or play guitar read read music right yeah or build a sculpture yeah like those are all things that i get visual feedback from my eyes Mm -hmm. my eyes have coordinate with my hands there is an intermediate there which is the brain which coordinates the rest of my body with that because the eyes wouldn't work without a heart and lungs and you just described every sport i think too yeah exactly so um this is how human beings sort of developed in their biological systems that they have all these things they're capable of doing there's lots of things that our biology is not capable of doing. We need oxygen to survive. We would not survive with different types of gases in the air um, or a different balance of gases in the air. We wouldn't survive underwater. We wouldn't survive in the cold vacuum of space. We can't see the vast majority of the electromagnetic light spectrum. We can only see a tiny sliver of it. So these are all things that we're set up to capitalize on, and there are things that we can't do. But 
we have learned to be very successful inside of the niche that we currently occupy. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. So is the circumstances that allowed for those particular faculties vision and sight that uh, to be capitalized that needed to be present. So for example, an organism is never going to paint if they do not have any colored materials and some sort of medium on which to paint to do that. Like that would just never develop. So we developed those eyes and those hands and the brain and the body. And then we also had the things to work with. Mm -hmm. Presumably there are other things that could exist that we could work with to create totally different ways of doing art and music and that sort of thing. And we just haven't encountered them yet. We haven't invented yeah. them yet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was going to add to that. Like there's new things that happen, right? Yeah. That are created that can then alter everything. So 25 years ago, no internet, right? Yeah. There's a lot of different things that have Probably shaped 35 up. 35 at this point. <laughs> 35, yeah? yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Like, yeah. And it being everywhere. Cell phones. Like yes. But that was absolutely not a part of how we interacted with one another and with the universe for a really long time. Mm -hmm. That's a relatively recent development in our evolutionary history. Uh, texting people who've gotten really, really, really fast at texting. It is not that we evolved to be really good at texting is that we evolved to be able to coordinate our limbs and that we have a device that we can capitalize on and get even better at that skill yeah. that we're already okay at. Yep. So yeah, as you mentioned, sports are an example of this, um, music, math, athleticism, science, languages, writing, comedy, anything else that people do. Those are all things that is our biology being able to capitalize on our circumstances at the moment. But it's also true for horrible things in life um, that people do as well. So genocide, torture, corruption, these all fall under uh, these, these things you just talked about also influence those, those behaviors and those larger patterns, right? Right. So to say that if our biological preparedness and environmental circumstances select things like art and music and relationships, it also selects things like murder and dictatorship and torture and things like that. And so this brings us to what I have been talking about outside of the podcast, but with my colleagues and, and other people for a long time is what I consider to be the morally difficult position of psychology. And that is that it's a difficult position to be in that as a science, we can explain at least conceptually everything in that, that can happen in life. And now we aren't at the point where we have always proven that in science, similar to like how physics, they can explain how the universe works, even though they haven't actually done the, the research to really show we can apply the principles that we do know and say we can figure this out when we put it to the test. We have the conceptual system that we need. We just haven't figured out how all of it works yet. And there's a lot of it. Like there's, there's probably more that we don't know than things that we do know, but we can take what we do know and apply it and move forward with our method to learn more about it. So even though we haven't necessarily shown exactly how someone becomes a serial killer or becomes a genocidal maniac, mm -hmm. um, that we still understand how behavior develops. And so we can apply those same principles to this, even though we don't have all the evidence for those exact ways that it shows up. And again, this is true of all science and all yeah. fields. Yeah. So we're just discussing the morality today in terms of it's difficult to be in a position where you look at the entire developmental history of a person and everything that they do starts to make sense, even when it's something that's horrible. And it's not something that you would do necessarily. But for that person, when you see everything about them, biology included, everything about them and there are circumstances that led up to this, the decisions that they made to do those things. What we're saying is like, if you look at the developmental history of a person that does these sort of things that we can understand and start to make sort of, some sort of sense out of this. Right. And so even someone who grows up to become a murderer 
if you consider their whole life and you see how their choices occur and how they progress, it starts to make sense. It's the, the things that they do, they aren't really surprising. You don't see them make the choice and go, wow, I didn't expect that. You kind of look and say, wow, I can completely understand why you did that in that circumstance. In fact, you might even mostly be able to predict that that would be the thing that happens if you had enough information. Now, yeah. most of the time, we don't have that much information. We're lacking the majority of the information. But if you did have that information, then you could really look at what was unfolding and say, like, yep, that's exactly how that was going to unfold. I guess. Yeah, very similar to like if you're analyzing like a car crash, like we understand physics well enough that right. like if we understand some of the initial points, uh, like enough of the evidence and we can put something together that makes a lot more sense, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, I would add that sounds a little outlandish, but like, yes. And it's sometimes our lack of having all the possible information data that we need, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. To be able to like do this when we're predict these sort of things when it comes to human behavior. So part of this comes down to a discussion around when people do terrible things, the one of the first reactions that people often have is, who do we blame? So someone got murdered, who do we blame? Yeah, and it can be pointed all over the place, right? Like, yeah. so you can point at the person who did the crime. I've right. seen uh, the situation where they point at other loved ones and yeah. blame them, which can be horrible. I guess we, we say it could be like a part of the entire human race, right? If we're saying... Like, these are the ways in which we shaped up, right? Yeah. Like why we do the things that we do. And I mean, and that's, in, in my opinion, like pointing the finger and finding blame that is only useful up to a point. And like, if we were to say that someone got murdered who did it, that's a valid question to ask. Because if they did it and the circumstances and their biology, and everything led them to the point where they made the decision to kill someone else, then those circumstances are presumably still present for them. It might happen again. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. It might be one of those like crimes of passion where it's just someone wronged that person. And it was just that one time that they flew off the handle and killed him. They would never do that to anyone else or ever again. But that's where they got to that point. But for a lot of people, I think it's reasonable to look at and say, if their if their circumstances led them here in the first place they might lead them there again so let's find out who did it but once you found out who did it and even why then we can look at that person and say we know maybe not necessarily how you got there but we can understand that there were things that got you there even if we don't know exactly what those things are so as i mentioned it comes down to the the discussion about who to blame but also then how do we handle these situations and one thing that's become increasingly popular in this discussion is it's like the brain if we if we look at someone who is a serial killer and we say oh look that part of the brain doesn't react to fear that part of the brain doesn't react to emotions that Mm -hmm. part of the brain doesn't react to hypothetical scenarios of people getting hurt yeah and so very very brain centric (laughs) yeah exactly and so not that that's necessarily a bad thing but what that what happens then is it's like we look at what they do and say oh that's just who they are they can't help it So we don't blame them anymore. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that we should blame them necessarily. But what I'm saying is that, like, that's just a part of it. Their brain is their brain. It's it's part of who they are. Again, it's never the explanation. It's part of what they do. Yeah. So as I think I mentioned in a previous episode, if you look at the brain of someone who's throwing a temper tantrum, it's going to look like the brain of someone who's throwing a temper tantrum because that's what they're doing. Yeah. And when you do those, try and do those snapshot tests of, like, how do you react to this particular thing, that doesn't necessarily tell you that that happened first and so they did a terrible thing. It could be that that particular response either never developed or developed and then was pushed aside for a different type of response so they became desensitized to it or something else you know there could be a lot of reasons that their brain um, participates in something in a particular way but i think that it does 
create a useful discussion around considering part of why they did this was because of how their biology is set up. That's perfectly fair. You know, um, that's, that's going to be part of it. And another part of it is what were the circumstances that enabled this to happen? So in a similar way to that discussion about the brain, people who were raised in an environment that groomed them, conditioned them, trained them, however you want to view it to be criminals, you would then sort of say, is it not their fault? Look into the brain thing. If their brain is that way, and that's part of how they react to those situations, is it? And, and most people are okay saying, okay, it's not their fault. Yeah. And then what if you look at someone who's like, their whole life was basically training them to be this kind of person. Would you also then say, that's not their fault? And that's why I say, like, I don't think that fault is is very useful in this, in this particular circumstance. Yeah, it gets us in this, like, we're falling in this, like, cause-effect relationship. Right, right, exactly. Like, what is the cause that, like, influenced this? Right. There are a bunch of things. We yep. know that something got you there, right? We don't necessarily yep. know what it is, but we know that it was something. And so the wrong impression to get from this discussion that we're, hap that we're having is that we're saying that just because we understand it means that it's okay that they did it. That's not what we're saying. We're not condoning the terrible things that people do. Do, even though we understand how they got there and that's what I think is the difficult position to take is you look at someone who does something terrible and you look at the victims of that family and you feel your heart goes out to them it's it's absolutely heartbreaking to see how people's lives have been damaged by people who have done who victimized yeah, yeah. those people mm -hmm. and then say like I I have I feel like I want to protect both people because that person who did the horrible thing that they did they were led there through their developmental history. Yep. And the people who were the victims of that like that just sucks. Like that sucks. That sucks yeah. to be in that position and, and you want to be in support of them. And so it comes down uh, like eventually what has to be the discussion is that we're not making it okay. We're saying that we need to have compassion toward everybody. Yeah. Right. So. And the idea there is if you step into that framework of like, or that perspective of having compassion for everybody involved, then you can start to understand w what it is that's influencing these sort of things. And then hopefully head towards a preventative model or approach in yeah. these situations. Yes. That's exactly so, my thought on this. Yes. Yeah, so I, like, where do you take action first understanding the perspective and that compassion so that we can move into ways to prevent these things. Right. And so I had sort of a hypothetical example of, Let's say that there is a man who accidentally runs over uh, a child in his car and, you know, he wasn't being negligent. It just it was a bad thing that happened. And the, the, the parent of that child is, is so upset about this that they murder the driver. Now, it doesn't make the second murder okay, but we do understand why they did it. They were so upset about losing their child that their reaction to that was to take it out on this other person or to, you know, go and attack this other person. Yeah. And... Again, like we look at that and we say, like, I get why you did that. Not saying it's okay that you did yep. that, but I get why you did that. Yeah, that also comes it brings to mind like there's uh, the more observable it is. It seems like the easier it is for our culture to understand those reasons as why someone did something. Yeah, totally. But the more like unobservable they are, right? Right. The less likely it is, or the harder it is, I think, for our culture to agree upon. Um, that was a part of the influence, right? right? Which might make it why these brain or these mental health issues are a little bit harder for people to all agree upon sometimes. Yeah, Does absolutely. Yeah. Or like these individual experiences, like we just don't have those. It's yeah. harder for us. You can't, especially looking back at history, we can't look inside of the brain of those people and have anything to say about it because they're long dead. And the people that we do have, that tells a part of the story, but not the whole thing. It also doesn't tell us what was going on in their brain at the time that they had that 
at the time they did what they did. So, you know, you're at best looking at a hypothetical reaction to something else that is supposed to be sort of a representation of that same sort of thought process. So something else that I think is important to discuss is this idea that there's no, there's no such thing as evil people. There are people who do evil things. And by implication, there's no such thing as good people. There are people who do good things. And everybody in the world is just people. And looking at this in terms of that there are things that people do that could be described as either being good or evil or anywhere in between all of that is that that gives us something to do. You know, if there are people that are just people and they do evil things, well, we know how to do stuff. We know know how to do something about that. We know how to, and it looks at in terms of like, you're not bad. You're not damaged. You're not something that is broken and needs to be destroyed. You are someone who you are a person and you have done something that we, we have as, as a society can't allow to have happen anymore. And so what do we need to do about that? Right. And so looking at it in terms of everybody is a person and that people do good and bad things. So this is a difficult position to be in. It's difficult to say this to victims, the people who like they were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. And again, not their fault. It's not their fault that this happened to them. And at the same time, like it's we understand and can even predict to an extent the terrible things that people do. It no longer then makes sense to advocate for like severe punishments for those people. If you understand how it came to be that that person made that choice, then the saying that like we get to take your life away, that kind of doesn't make a lot of sense anymore. You know, to any torture, that doesn't really make sense anymore. Yeah, because like the the way in which we handle like we see this in justice systems, like in correctional facilities, right? Like the degree to which we are leaning on the the spectrum of punishment versus rehabilitative approaches, right? Right, and they they call it rehabilitative a lot of the time when it's not. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, those things, you, you can dig in and look, like those things sway like across states in the country Country, um, sometimes on a kind of a cyclical uh, pattern. Yeah. Right. The degree to which we kind of look at these things and politics is a part of it. There's all sorts of things that go into that. And I, um, I can't imagine being a person who does law enforcement and just sees criminal behavior constantly. And then it must be like this is an even more difficult to thing to look at that and say that you will have compassion for those people. Just like, man, like I'm so it's so hard to see those victims and not feel their level of anger toward the people who victimize them. Yeah, I totally get that. And then there's also those victims who will forgive the people who victimize them. You know, they're, they can stand above that and be like, I'm moving on with my life. I'm not going to make my life about hating you, you know? And so there's just, you know, it's, it's a really difficult position to be in to say, like, I, I, I get it on both sides. I get it. Um, and I understand uh, where when those people who have done those crimes and and how they sort of get there. And then we want to say, is this a person that's so dangerous that we need to have them? We need to prevent them from doing this again, because that's where their developmental history has led them. That that could be very well the case for yeah. some people. It's like that we can't. But what we can do, the information is say, like, we learn from this circumstance that these are the kind of things that produces this type of behavior. We're going to try and stop doing that. We learn from this circumstance that these are the kinds of uh, circumstances where this behavior is likely to happen. We're going to try and prevent it from happening there. And at the same time, this person who has committed this crime and say, like, 
it seems that this is at a point where we can't change the circumstances enough for you mm -hmm. to make it so that you're no longer dangerous to other people. So what we need to do is just make it so that you can still have as many rights as possible, as much of a life as possible and not hurt anyone else anymore. Yeah. But when you're, I've never been in a situation where I was really victimized to the extent that a lot of people are, that some people have been. And I can't imagine how enraged I would be ha having been on that and, you know, just want the worst possible thing for that person. That's a natural reaction to have, mm -hmm. but it does put it, you in a difficult position being removed from that situation and the emotions of that situation to say, like, I'm going to argue for compassion for, for both people. And it's, it's a difficult position to take. Like it sounds, it feels morally righteous to want to get revenge. Like it feels good to want to put those people down and it doesn't make sense psychologically to take that approach. Yeah. That's the morally difficult position. Yeah. So I, I don't know. What do you think? I'm trying to make sense of like how to move forward with this, right? Like, like, uh, I think this is why we have large calls to action to like really understand research. And like, we kind of go back through and look at things like the better we can understand general larger patterns, then we can start to refine and use those to help prevent these sort of situations. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. Um, cause like, I just like, I get lost in the moral, morally difficult position. Right. So it's like, how do we move forward out of this? Right. And so my thought is, is like the more we collectively learn as a society, the better overall we should be able to get. Yeah. Right. I think so. And I think it's why it's very important that we, we, do those sort of things and encourage those sort of things like research institutions need to be around like different people need to be looking at different things different camps need to be looking at different the same thing from different angles yeah. um like kind of the quicker we sort these things out the faster we can maybe help these people on both sides yeah yeah you know it it makes me wonder it, i i got asked this in my class once of, do you think that there are people out there who um who could be serial killers but they never kill anybody and or something of, of that nature. Yeah. And my response was, I think that there are people who, that there are lots and lots of people out there who would do horrible, terrible things, but will never encounter the circumstances that foster that kind of behavior. Mm -hmm. And I think there are people who have done horrible, terrible things who would never have done them if they did not have those circumstances who enabled and encouraged that to happen. Yeah. yeah. And so, yes, I think everybody has, the potential to do that. And most people don't, the circumstances aren't there for most people to do that. Yeah. Um, even when this is kind of funny, I, I love those sort of apocalyptic movies and stuff, mm -hmm. but in almost every single one of them, people turn into these sort of dog eat dog attack people. But what's interesting is that when you look at the research and where it has actually happened, that it's not, ex there's obviously hasn't been an apocalypse, but in situations where people sort of lose everything and in large cultures or tribes or groups like that, mm -hmm. what they do is they band together. Yeah. People yeah. cooperate <laughs> and work together. So mm -hmm. it's, you don't see this, like everyone's killing everybody to, you know, once the rules are out, that just is not how people work. Yeah. But for the most part, you know, the, that's, there are not advantages to that type of behavior. But for some people, they, they start to exist and people do what 
they are biologically prepared and to, what they're biologically prepared to do and the, what the circumstances are going to allow them to do. Yeah. And I guess, you know, try and build them up to that. Yeah. And, uh, and so that there, yeah, there are those people that would do terrible things. We could all, and uh, the people who would have never done something terrible ever, except that they did because that's where they ended up. Um, and I like going back to the example of someone who, if there something terrible happened to their child and like all they see is like, I must get my revenge. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, that is a person who have never hurt anyone up to that point in their life. And then, then that's the only thought that they have. Yeah. And again, I haven't been in that position. I don't know what it's like. And I can't, I can't imagine that how difficult it must feel. There are those journalists who go out to prisons and they interview these, uh, high profile murderers and serial killers. And you know, they'll report that they do kind of develop a relationship with them, even if they don't like them and they don't disagree and they feel like they have to be removed from the humanity of that person in order to write about them objectively. Yeah. Which kind of makes sense. And at the same time, it's sort of like saying you are doing that thing where you are, you have removed their humanity, but they are still humans. Yeah. They've done something terrible and it's not something that we forgive, but we also understand how it happened. They are still humans. And so they, we treat them as humans like we would treat anyone. And it's about not further victimizing the victim not allowing them to victimize other people and being as compassionate as you can to everybody involved. I think you just summarized that perfectly. Thanks. <laughs> so, if, I mean, that's, that's basically what it is, but you know, it's just, it's a position I've taken a few times and, and I've had a lot of disagreement from people. And another thing I, I sort of brought up is that as long as we have a culture that says that it, there are some times that it's okay to torture and kill people, we'll have people who, who torture and kill people. Like mm-hmm. that's just going to be part of it. And so it, is you know those people who say like what about like hitler don't you think that he if we we should have been able to catch him and torture him for decades i said no i don't and i it's a it's a difficult position to take because it's we're saying what i'm saying is that we just have to say it's never okay to do that to other people yeah in general across the board yeah everywhere it's never okay you don't do it sometimes you just do it never and that that's that's the position to take is that we are just going to say the most compassionate response is it's never okay to to do the terrible things even when it seems righteous and justified it's just not and it's a difficult place to be in because there are those people who like they don't have the same rules that i have about this yeah they're they're going to go out (laughs) and they're going to take as many lives as they can they're Mm going to see this as an opportunity and uh and and say like hey great you're not going to try and get back at me so and those people might be out there that could be a thing that happens and the people who are like yeah you're just enabling the criminals and i don't think that's what i'm doing and i don't think that there's any evidence that that's what i'm doing but um i'm saying that like if we culturally agree that we can be compassionate toward one another then i think those instances are going to decrease significantly yeah cool i think that's a good plug if you're like really into this go check out the nurture effect right oh yeah yeah uh, that's a great idea yeah there's yeah. a book um that tony, we tony biglin yeah anthony biglin goes by tony but um yeah. just if you're looking at the author i think anthony biglin yeah um and uh we're not being supported by biglin or his book oh no but, but uh, yeah like if you're like really want to dive into this i think that's the way to go yeah you want to so, learn more about uh what's and he does a great job digging up the research that's yeah here like too. when you do peer modeling and those sort of things like in schools and like there's all sorts of cool angles on like how you can actually start working with this stuff and not and move forward with these ideas and not get so lost in the what do we do you yeah. know and like there's some pretty strong support for it yeah he has the there's like a quote in there that's something like all ships rise with the tide yeah so like when when we bring everyone up then everyone comes up yeah it's not that you have to bring some people down to bring people up yeah that sort of thing yeah, i love it all right let's hit some take-homes perfect all right so i think that i sort of summarized initially that 
what this episode was about is identifying what I consider to be the morally difficult position of psychology, which is that if we understand how behavior develops in the first place, then we understand both the good and bad things that people do. Yes. Those things happen uh, largely because we have some sort of evolutionary history, right? Yep. There's some sort of genetic or biological preparedness that we have, and then there's various social and environmental circumstances that influence and all those things interact with each other. Yeah. And we don't have all those sorted out, but we uh, are learning more and more about those. And as we learn more about those, we can understand why these things are happening. And then the logical next step that one would derive from this understanding is that treat everyone with compassion and try and prevent bad things from happening. Yes. And then to be continued forever. And we sort it out more and more as a culture. Yep. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Cool. We'll, we'll never be, I think, completely 100% right all the time. <laughs> yeah. We can wish. We can wish. Yes. All right. So with that, this is Ryan O. This is Abraham. We are out. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by ABAI's Disseminating Behavior Analysis Special Interest Group and our amazing listeners. If you like what you heard, consider heading to our Patreon account at patreon.com slash podcast. Anything helps, and we are continuously lining up perks and merch for our supporters. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.podcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is Abraham, Ryan O, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brucier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Brendan Bohr does our episode art. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.